yeah, as John said, these are some pretty daunting topics. And uh, I have definitely felt the weight of speaking on this um, this week and this morning. And so I just want to start with, with a caveat, which is, is simply this, that depression and mental health in general is a spectrum. So your experience of it might be, <clears throat> you know, uh, like a few really low days every month or two. It might be something that was brought on by bereavement or a specific issue. It, it might be so bad that you can't leave the house. So there's this very vast spectrum of what depression is, of what it looks like, of what helps, of what doesn't. Like, there's a lot of variables and nuances to it, way too many that I could possibly address in a 25-minute preach. And so I'm not going to try to do that. Instead, I'm just going to give you some principles from Scripture and from my own journey with mental health and depression that will hopefully give you some hope, in, even in the midst of it whether that is for you uh, or for a loved one who might be going through this, okay? Now, the good news in all of this is that depression is not too big for Jesus. It's not. And there are actually many examples throughout the Bible of men and women of God who struggle with this. You have uh, King David who writes so many psalms just pouring his heart out of, of grief and loneliness, you have several prophets who tell the Lord they're angry enough to die. You have the book of Job, which describes his grief as weightier than the sands of the sea. That's weighty. So depression is not an uncommon experience, even for believers. It doesn't mean that the Lord is upset with you or that he's angry. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong or you've failed. It just means the world is heavy. And right now you're struggling to hold it. And there's a variety of reasons why that might have uh, been triggered in you, what might be fueling it. But it's, it's going to really impact three categories, the physical Mental slash emotional, which is, you know, under the umbrella of what we call the soul and spirit. And that is because you are all three of those things. You are body and soul and spirit. All three. And sometimes we think of mental health as just a mind thing. But it's not. And we sometimes want to elevate one of those three categories or completely deny that one of them exists for us. We are those three things, body, soul, and spirit. And the Lord designed them. He designed them to be good. He designed them to interconnect with one another. So they impact each other. So depression isn't simply feelings of sadness. It's, it might be insomnia and loss of appetite. And an anger or distrust in the Lord. Depression can invade a person. It impacts all of them. And we see this in the story of Elijah. 
Now, the background of Elijah is that he was a prophet, and he is coming off of a career high, a spiritual high, a life high. When we find him in this story, he's just basically humiliated every false prophet, every false worshiper. He's literally called fire down from heaven to show the nation the Lord is the Lord, and you better follow him. So he's in like living his best life, right? But then this evil queen threatens him. And Elijah gets scared, and he panics, and he flees. And that's where we find him at this point in the story. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Okay, let's pause there for a moment. The first thing the Lord does is address Elijah's physical needs. He helps him sleep. He gives him water and food. Very basic bodily needs. You are a body. You have physical entityness to you. You have physical needs and limitations. And the Lord knows this. He designed it that way. He designed your body to, to be good, to keep you alive, to, to regulate your emotions. But sometimes it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And when that happens, there are things we can do to help our body take care of us. Things we see in this passage. Things like getting enough sleep and drinking water and eating good food. Things like getting sunlight, putting your phone down, moving your body. It doesn't matter if it's the gym or or a 10-minute walk or you just put a song on in the kitchen and have a little boogie. It doesn't matter. You need to move your body. And it might seem so simple, almost silly. But remember, your body impacts your soul and your spirit. And so when we do things to take care of our physical body, our soul and our spirit are impacted. And the Lord knows this. So he comes and he meets Elijah in it. He cares for him physically. And then he goes on to address his soul and his spirit. So let's pick up with the story. Excuse me. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mehaloah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah is feeling alone. He's feeling scared. He feels like a failure. Like the Lord has left him. Maybe that resonates with some of us. You know, sometimes life happens. Hard life happens. Hard life happened to Elijah. He's literally run out of town. And you might not have been run out of town, but maybe you're experiencing rejection. Maybe you've lost someone or something. Maybe you've lost a lot of someones or some things. Maybe something really terrible and tragic has happened to you that you had no control over. And yet here you are now in this, this pit of sadness and pain and anguish and heartache, and you don't know if you'll ever be you again. There's some spiritual things at play here. It wasn't just anyone who ran him out of town. It was a pagan witch queen. There's some spiritual stuff in that. That's real. The sp spirits are real. Scripture talks about uh, a spirit of torment, a spirit of heaviness. Spiritual reasons could absolutely be causing or fueling your depression. It might be a spiritual attack. It might be an issue with sin or unforgiveness. It, it might just be that you got bored of your relationship with Jesus and you stopped doing the things that kept you close to him. But the Lord knows that. He knows how your spirit and your soul impact you. He knows how depression can impact those things. And so he doesn't leave Elijah in it. He meets Elijah in the darkness of a cave when he's all on his own. He establishes that connection with him again. 
He reassures him that he's not alone. He gives him very clear and specific next steps. The Lord gives Elijah hope. He he shows Elijah how to keep going when Elijah doesn't want to keep going. Last month, I I was in Peru, and uh, I did some trekking through the Andes Mountains, and it was like absolute dream of my life. It was amazing. And on the trek I did, they warn you about days one and two, and they tell you how hard days one and two are going to be because you're like 4,000 meters above sea level, and so it's cold, and you're not used to it, and you're going like straight up. So they warn you about that. They don't warn you about day four. Because on day four, the path narrows. And it becomes these uneven stone steps that just, like, don't end. And they just, go, they just keep going and going and going. And there's this phrase that we talk about in, in the gym and workouts where you train to failure. And it's this idea that you do an exercise over and over and over again until you physically fail and can't do it. And so there I am, day four, halfway up the mountain, and I hit my point of failure. Now, this is an issue, because unlike the gym, when that happens, and I can pat myself on the back and be like, yeah, well done, you know, like on to the next thing, I was halfway up a mountain. And so it's at this point that I start to panic, and I start to get real religious. And so I start praying, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come with your fire, Lord. Renew my strength like the wings of an eagle. Come on, you know. And I'm thinking, he's going to come with his might. I'm going to get this supernatural second wind. I'm going to sprint up to the top of the mountain. Everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, Sarah, how'd you do that? And I'll be like, Jesus is how I did it. And what a great testimony, right? Like, I'm like, Jesus, I'm setting you up here. This is good. Yeah. (laughs) But remember Elijah. The Lord doesn't come to him the way he expected. And just like Elijah, there I was, halfway up the mountain, expecting the Lord to come with his fire and his might. And instead, just like Elijah, this gentle, quiet whisper came and just said, Keep going. That was it. That was his great advice. But it's all I had. So I thought, okay, I'm going to keep going, Jesus. Okay. So I took a step and I said, okay, keep going, Sarah, keep going. And I took another step. Keep going. Okay, another step. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. With every step, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Until eventually I kept going all the way up to the top of the mountain. <laughs> Thank you. But what? I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. Thank you. But what? What I realized as I was climbing is that this this advice, this wisdom, was not just a physical thing the Lord was asking of me. It was what he was asking of me in my life, in every part of me, that I would keep going. And it's his great advice and word to you today, to keep going. When things are hard and sad 
keep going. When it's dark and hopeless, keep going. When you feel more alone than you've ever felt before, keep going. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, because eventually, if you keep going, you will make it out of that pit and to the top of the mountain. Jesus. And I know the immediate feedback, the immediate pushback from some of y'all is, I don't think I can. And you'll say, oh, I'm just so tired, and it's too hard, and I just can't keep going. And I know in a room this size and with the amount of people that watch online, some of you say that, and you mean you can't go another day. And you've had suicidal thoughts and ideation. And if that's you, I need you to listen to me real good right now. Those thoughts are lies from the pit of hell, okay? They are evil, they are demonic, they don't belong to you. They are absolute grade A baloney. And I can tell you with 100 million gajillion percent certainty that the world is not better off without you that it needs you, that it wants you. And if someone hasn't said this to you today or, or this week or month or, or maybe even years, you haven't heard this, let me tell you, you are loved and you are wanted. You are deeply loved and deeply wanted. You just have to hold on a little longer. You just have to keep going. Even if it's the teensiest, tiniest step that maybe no one else would even recognize as movement, if that's your keep going, great. Take it. And it can look like a lot of things, right? Maybe, maybe your keep going today is to start to take care of yourself physically. It's to make sure you are hydrated and you're drinking enough water that you start eating vegetables, that um, you put down your phone at a reasonable hour and go to bed. Maybe there's some emotional keep going you need to get into today. You need to actually feel your feelings and process your emotions. And maybe process trauma even that's happened. So maybe your, your keep going next step today is, is to Book an appointment with your GP or a counselor or therapist. Maybe you need to book a sozo or a coffee with, with the pastoral care team. Spiritually, you need to get some truth into you. Because depression is a liar. And the only way to fight a liar is with truth. Now I know if you are in the midst of depression, Reading your Bible is the hardest thing. It's the last thing you want to do. Read one psalm a day. If that's too much for you, read a children's Bible. 
doesn't matter, it's still truth. If that's too much for you, play worship music. Let, let truth be sung over you. However you need to get truth into you in this season, get truth into you. However you need to, to take care of yourself in this season, do it. Be kind and gentle with yourself. Go easy. Maybe your keep going this morning is to re-engage with community. And I think that's the hardest one, if I'm honest. Because when, when you're in the, the, the pit of depression, you, you want to hide. You want to run. You want to isolate and disconnect. You don't want people to see you like that. Please don't run and hide. Please don't. You need people. You need community to get you through this. You need people who are willing and able to jump down in the pit with you and fight for you when you've lost all your fight. So if that means finding a support group or being honest with your life group or whatever it is, do it, because you need people. Now, for those of us who are in that community they're coming to, we have a role to play as well. And notice I said role, not responsibility. It is not your responsibility to save them. It's not your responsibility to heal them. It's not your job. But we have a role to play in helping them. We have a role to play in helping them take care of themselves until they can do it again. You know, I'm, I'm not quite ready or comfortable yet to, to talk in much detail about my own uh, dark night of the soul, but what I will say is that when I was arguably at my lowest point, there was a family that fed me for two weeks. And I don't think they even knew what was going on, really. I don't think they knew how bad it was. I'm not particularly close with them, you know. But, but they just, they knew something wasn't right. And they listened to Holy Spirit's prompting to do something practical for me. And so they cooked for me for two weeks. And honestly, that's what got me through those two weeks, I don't know what I would have done without those two weeks with them. Do the practical things. Listen to what Holy Spirit is asking you to do for someone. Whether it's, it's cooking or cleaning their house or driving them somewhere or whatever it might be. Do the practical thing. It might seem insignificant to you, but it's not. Because remember, it's all connected. You help them physically, but, but their soul and spirit get the benefit as well. The second thing you can do for someone who's struggling is pray. Pray often. Pray specific. 
It's yes, please, it's amazing, pray for, for comfort and, uh, you know, and, and joy and, and peace. All, yes, all of that, great. But if you know what the specific situations are, if you know what's really fueling it, pray for those things. Text them what you're praying. They need someone to fight for them. They don't have the energy to fight for themselves anymore. You can do that for them. The third thing you can do is to listen. Listen, but don't force them to speak. One of the ugly realities of depression is that it twists you to twist your brain to, to think that some people aren't safe. And it has nothing to do with you. It, you could be their best friend for years. You could be super trustworthy and wonderful. And their depression will still lie to them and say, no, not this person. Don't be offended by that. Instead, you can say things like, um, hey, I know things have been really hard right now. Is there anything you want to share about it? I'd, I'm, I'm here to listen if you do want to. And if they want to share, awesome. If they don't, that is also awesome. It's okay. Don't be offended by it. I promise it has nothing to do with you. If they ask you to do something specific, you can support them by doing that thing. We can, when we're speaking and listening to them, we can think about our word choice. Word choice is really important. Because they can't just cheer up. That's not how it works. You can't, don't tell them to, oh, pray more and do this and do this. Like, don't compare what they're going through to someone who has it worse. Oh, well, you know, this happened to you, but at least this didn't happen to you, right? Yeah, maybe someone else does have it worse. It doesn't negate what they're experiencing. They don't need platitudes and silver linings. They need empathy and connection. Because that's actually what Jesus offers. And ultimately, what you're doing in, in all of this is you're showing them Jesus. You're showing them hope. Because in the midst of a dark, deep pit of depression, there is no hope. They can't see it. They can't see the light. They think they're going to be in that pit forever. We can show them that Jesus is still there, that Jesus is still with them, that hope is still there. Because ultimately, the hope isn't even the, the freedom and the getting out and the, the healing. The, the hope is Jesus. He's it. He's the hope. That he stays with them in the midst of it. That he never leaves you. He doesn't forsake you. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows. One who is acquainted with the deepest grief. I think that might be my most favorite thing about Jesus. That he's acquainted with the deepest grief. She can hear this. 
He's not someone who runs from it. He's not someone who denies it. He's not embarrassed by your depression or mental health issues. He runs to you in it. He embraces you in it. He understands it. That's who he is. That's where the hope is. It's in the fullness of who he is. My friend Alan wrote this um, song, and it has a line in it that goes, Death has no hold when you're holding my hand. Death has no hold on you when Jesus is holding your hand. When Jesus, the resurrected one, is holding your hand. Depression doesn't get the victory when the victorious one is at your side. Anxiety doesn't get the last word when the blood of Jesus speaks a better one. So the hope isn't the healing, it's Jesus. It's the Jesus who comes, the Jesus who stays, the Jesus who is with you no matter how deep that pit is today. And he's here today, and he wants to come to you in it. Jesus. Jesus, it's... I mean, I said at the beginning, it's quite daunting to talk about depression and for a variety of reasons, but one of them is the reality of the now and not yet. You know, we, I fully believe that in a moment we're going to get into ministry and we're going to pray and people are going to be supernaturally set free from their depression. Fully believe that. I also believe that some people are going to get prayed for or some people are going to have the Lord speak to them today and it's going to be the part, a start of a journey, a journey to their healing because it's the now and not yet. And so I want us to have full faith in who God is, that he can do that. And I also want you to know he is a God of process and he's a God of journey. And both are him and both are right and both are good. Jesus. But before we go into kind of the, the classic ministry where I'm, you know, we'll, there's a, I know this might be bringing up a lot of things in people and, and we want you to be prayed, we want you to have encounters with Jesus. But before we get into that, I actually think there's, um, there's some warfare that needs to happen. Because remember, you're, you're Jesus, your body, soul, and spirit. So there's a spiritual aspect around mental health and depression. Not that every depression is an evil spirit or a demon that's attacked you. Sometimes people say that, and I'm like, maybe. Maybe you drank 18 cups of coffee and no water, right? Like, there's, there's nuances to this, right? But, but I do think there's a moment of intercession and warfare that we all get to be a part of regardless of if, if you know anyone who's struggled with this. Because there's a community here, and a community is part of how depression is healed. 
And there's the spirit of God here, and that's how depression is healed. 